Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm podcast where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode of the Deal Farm, Kevin and I talk with Sam Wegger, the subject matter expert on co-living, an up-and-coming market segment that I personally think will dominate the real estate industry over the next decade. Stay tuned. Again, how you doing today? Oh man, I'm doing so good. How about yourself? It is a fantastic week, and I am happy to be here. So, what do you think about this cool blue light I got behind me? Ever get on YouTube and you like see all these YouTubers? They they like the blues and the purples. Kind of feels like a disco behind them. I I'm, I'll be honest. I thought my mon- monitor was broken. I was like, man, my hue is way off. The hue is, but it's not the hue. It's the light behind you. <laughs> it's not the hue. It's hue. It's like, you. It's you, not, not the you. It's uh, yeah. I'm trying experimenting with cool blue light effects behind me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm cool enough to pull it off. Well, it, 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 there's definitely effect here. I like it. You I do think, like it. It makes you a little orange. Just I was gonna say, I'm just my You're face looks a little orange. orange. Yeah. My my camera is having trouble adjusting. It's you got not, a little carrot top going on. Just a little. <laughs> just a little. Yeah, I got to keep working on it. I mean, you got to like keep the camera equipment up to date so you look cool and you can post to YouTube and well you know I've had microphone envy for a long time. I mean you get that cool radio microphone that's pretty phenomenal. Mine, mine works. Mine's okay, but it's not, say, the, it's, not it's not the radio mic. I can hear your sounds just as good as mine. Half the time I don't even use mine right. My face isn't close enough or the amp isn't turned up right. There's always it shouldn't be this complicated to record a podcast. It really shouldn't. It shouldn't be. But it is, you know, y'all got to keep up with the the Joneses. Have you been listening to any good podcasts lately? Are there any competing podcasts that you just really love these days? I don't even know if I should share this in public or not. Should I, should I, and I think you know the one because you and I I do. I absolutely, I didn't know if you said this one or not, but it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, I've, so I listened to smart for the last year. I've listened to smart list pretty regularly. Those guys are fun, entertaining. Uh, But then we obviously got turned on to something completely and totally different than smart list. Uh, which is the blurry creatures, blurry guys. creatures, blurry that's creatures, right. man. I, I don't know why that's my new um, guilty pleasure for whatever reason. It's uh, in fact, it's, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers' brother is one of the guys on it. Uh, they're and they're up in Tennessee and it's, they're out there. Like, I'm not going to lie. They're out the, the podcasts, yeah. the topics they're out there. But like I said, I mean, I, I, sometimes I dig just like hearing about Bigfoot and hearing people's stories. It's just crazy. Well, you know, I think it's the sort of thing where it's it's a little verboten to talk about crazy topics like that. So we, I think the first one you and I listened to, it was all about the mer people, the mermaids. and this was like, way too, way too far was, out there. But it was very entertaining. It was yeah. very, very entertaining. But then they get into other stuff, like you said, like Bigfoot. And it's like, you know, what, when else are you going to talk about that stuff? I mean, that's that's kind of fun to, it's entertaining, very entertaining. And it's, you're just constantly like trying to run it through a filter of, could this be legitimate? Is there something to this? Or, Is there and just enough there, right? Yeah, you're just constantly having to make this internal decision. Am I going to let myself believe some of this or not? I yeah. think I can, but... I can't go that far, but like, where is the line? How far am I going to let myself believe before? You know what it is? It is the Ripley's Believe It or Not of podcasts. There was used to be a TV show, right? The Ripley's mm-hmm. Believe It or Not. And it was like, this is amazing. It was like, is this really real? Like, is it yeah. real? Yeah. But well, I think the more... Right? Um, the more pertinent comparison now is like ancient aliens or something yes, like right. that you know like a history channel and yeah. 
they've really delved into that. And some of that stuff's out there, but there's just enough believability too, or like keeps people watching it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's my guilty pleasure. What about you? You have a podcast that you're into right now? Uh, you know, I, you know, like you, I, I listen to smart list. I can't remember the name of what's the one of it with the, the, the real rich guys, the billionaires. You turned to me on oh, yeah, the all in man. Oh, all in podcast. Yes. I've been listening to that quite a bit lately, which that's is good. just interesting. It's like sitting in yeah. a circle with a bunch of guys and just listen to, listening to them talk. And it's like, that's some really interesting, you know, perspectives. I enjoy it. Yeah. I'm with, I'm with you on that. That is it's, and it's good to, to mix it up. You don't want to get stuck on one podcast. I'm sure that people pop into ours, listen to one or two, and then pop out, probably listen yeah. to other ones as well. Yeah. Hey, as long as you're getting one or two in, we're, yeah. we're happy you stopped by. Yeah. And then I got one other one I listened to called reflections, but it's, you know, it's deep theological talk about stuff. A guy from England, uh, from Ireland, actually, it's a guy from Ireland here in the States, Kimbo. Oh, I like yeah. That oh yeah. Yeah. Kimbo is awesome. You ever <laughs> listen to Jordan Rayner? We listen to Jordan Rayner. In fact, Anita yeah. was on his podcast not too long ago. He's an author, Christian author. That's Nice, nice guy. I've written some pretty good books. Um, but you know, my favorite podcast is this one. This really is my favorite. This be. is the one. Well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this, Kevin. Let's be honest. It's about as good as it gets. We get some really interesting people. I find myself after we talk to someone, I'll think about it for days. It's like, man, we should get into that. Like, we we should be doing that. Like, that's really amazing. Like, we should, you know, every week it's like probably the 20 different business ideas based on people we've had in here. We should be doing that. We should launch that. We could do that. Oh, I told you at the outset, I said, that, Hey, do not get the shiny object syndrome. It's coming every time, every person you talk to, I will say this though, this guest that we have on today, which wasn't necessarily recorded today, but, uh, I have a call set up with him tomorrow. So I, I followed <laughs> up because I want to yeah. delve. I think there's, I think there's so much to affordable housing. In fact, right. I just wrote a blog about affordable housing that's going on in our newsletter because I really do believe that, um, that co-living and shared housing is going to be the future of the next decade. I mean, yeah. I strongly believe that. And to, from an investor standpoint, there's more momentum behind it than mm -hmm. like the Airbnb model where there's municipalities shutting it down you know, affordable housing is being opened up. I mean, yeah. you know, even and it's solving it's solving a major issue in right. the United States right now regarding affordable housing. So I love it. I say we bring them in. I say we bring them in, even though we talked to them about a week ago. Let's bring them in. So Sam, welcome to the show. What's up, Ken? Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, great to well, great to meet you for the first time. Glad we got a little, little bit of time before the show started. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm so super intrigued by this this whole business category of co-living and house hacking i want to get into that but i am curious since we've made this interesting connection that you're from lynchburg and kevin lives in lynchburg and you know kevin knows your dad take us back like give us an idea where things started for you and how you get kind of found your way into house hacking yeah that it was it's such a cool connection kevin uh i'm i'm excited to tell my dad about the meeting you today so yeah, my dad's worked at Liberty University for I think it's 35. It's it's going on a long. It might be going on 40 years now, but he's been there for a long, long time. And he started actually as an electrician at Liberty University, and uh, you know worked himself worked his way up to being a dean of international students and graduate admissions for a while. And uh, yeah, my dad is very. This is this is kind of a nice segue into entrepreneurship, I think, because my dad is extremely academic. So my dad has like two bachelors. He's got a master's. He's got his doctorate of ministry. And uh, I was the kid who came along. My dad had eight kids, so he's got a big family. And he, I was the kid who came along and was like, hey, dad, um, I think I want to drop out of school. So he, I got a, because my dad works there, I got a full ride scholarship to Liberty. And I did about a year's worth. And I was like, I think I want to like do this entrepreneurship route. And to my dad's just amazing credit and his belief in me, he was like, Sam, 
I did the academic route and you see where that got me. I like, I love my life, but you know, sometimes I feel like I could have gone further. So you pursue that. And he just believed in me. And to the point to where when I was 15 years old, and that's not exaggeration, I was literally 15 turning 16. He gave me, him and my mom gave me a $15,000 loan to buy a little martial arts school in the town of Amherst, Virginia, which we talked about. And that was where I cut my teeth on entrepreneurship. So big shout out to my dad just for everything he's done for me in my life. And he might even listen to this episode later. Now I will say, so that's that's some positive things. Now my dad also bought a bunch of real estate in, 20, in 2007, 2008 uh, in Lynchburg and oh, uh, Winston-Salem area as well. And that did not go over well for him. And so that really put a bad taste in his mouth for real estate. And he would say things like, Sam, I think real estate ruined me. Uh, you need to become wealthy and, and can help me retire. you know." And so I, I took that very seriously as a kid. And uh, grateful that I've kind of had to face some of those fears maybe coming out from childhood to now be, you know, all in on real estate. So so you had a 16-year-old in a, in a strip mall doing martial arts, which I got to say, that's pretty impressive. Thank you. <laughs> How did you, and you watch what happened to your dad with the market. How did you step into real estate? Like, what, what was the what were the steps that you made into this world? Yeah, I think one of the one of the things, and again, I'll just shout out my dad for doing this. And, and I think my dad did this with almost all of his eight kids. He recognized, he really humbly recognized that like, I just can't teach my kids everything. So he would put us, he would like just put us in front of other mentors. He, you know, he wanted me to go and train martial arts because of the instructor that was there. And the instructor was a business guy. And so he wanted me to get more. So he just, he just kind of like got me out and got me other mentors. And it was those mentors who kind of started to break down some of those beliefs of like, no, 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 you need to save money. You need to invest money. And real estate kind of came up as the best investment. So I bought this little three bedroom, three bath uh, condo in the town of Charlottesville, Virginia. It was about an hour away from where you are, Kevin. And uh, I just lived in one room and rented out the other rooms. Now keep in mind, I'm from eight siblings, two parents. So living with 10 people, living with people is not a, is not right. a, like that was normal to me. Right. And so that was kind of where this co-living, you know, house hacking idea was kind of birthed was like, I'm living in one room and I'm making money. And I call that house hacking when you're living in the place and then you're renting out another part of that place, that's house hacking. When it becomes sure. co-living is when you're not living there. And, and this is my opinion on it. You know, sure. it becomes co-living when you're not living there. It becomes a true, pure investment play, right? You've moved out and now you're just trying to create cash flow from this property. So that's, that's kind of how I got into that. Then I moved to Charlotte to buy some more martial arts schools. I was doing that full time at the, uh, at the time. And uh, I bought another house. I tried to live in it by myself, but it was like too quiet. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I wasn't seeing anybody. And I was just like, I'm going to have some roommates. So we, I had three roommates in that house and everything clicked for me this moment. One of my best friends in Charlotte, he was a, a really high, really high up banker. He was like a president of a bank in Charlotte. And he, he, he says, how much are you renting that house for? And I did some quick math and I said, well, I'm renting this house for like $2,800. And he was like, man, that house would only rent for $1,300 on like to a single family. So for whatever reason, the way he said it, it just clicked like, wait, I'm doubling the rent. And then I went on this journey of saying, well, if, if I'm doubling the rent at four rooms, could I do more if I did five rooms or six rooms or seven or eight or nine or 10, right? Totally. And uh, that was kind of my journey into this, this, this asset class of shared housing, which is really what co-living is. It's just shared housing. I will say this. I would get sick literally every time I would buy a house. Even if I was, you know, putting three or 5% down as a primary residence, I would like physically feel it. I think some of that was from my childhood. And so there was definitely fear uh, that I had to overcome in that journey. I'm so I'm so interested in the fact that a 16 year old bought a business with 90 clients. 
He was like, 15. What 16 year old 15 has, going on 16. Yeah. Crazy. What 16 year old. Like I have a 16 year old. She's amazing, but she does not have the wherewithal to run a business. Like, <laughs> how did that, and how did that work out for you? Here's, here's, here's what literally happened. I started training at 13 years old and people just started telling me that I had the wherewithal. I mean, I know that sounds crazy and simple, but like my instructor would just be like, you'll run a school someday. You want to run a school someday? I think you could run a school someday. And my parents, my parents believed my martial arts instructor. And they were just like, Master Clement, Master Clements was his name, as we call me. Like, Master Clements thinks you can run a school someday. And I kind of grew into it. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if you, you know, what, what's the, what's the, what's the, the saying? Like, if you, even if it's a lie, you know, if you, if you tell a lie big enough, bold enough, strong enough, long enough, eventually you believe it. It wasn't a lie. It was I like just believed into it. I grew into it. I mean, really, that's what they did. That's why I like commend all these people around me that just believed in me. They're like, you can do it. You can do it. Wow. Now, the one thing my martial arts instructor did was before he left, because he wanted to sell me the school because he was like burnt out hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. He hired a he hired a consultant and that consultant would drive from Lynchburg. Uh, he, he's probably one of the most prominent like martial arts guys in Lynchburg. And he would drive to Amherst every every two to three times per week. And he would train me and he same thing. You can do this. I've seen people your age do this before. And I would spike my hair and I'd look older and I would go out in the parking lot and ask people to join my karate school and give them my cards away. And it was it was pretty it's crazy incredible. when I think about it. I mean, there were a lot of tears because I was like not very extroverted and I was having to market like <laughs> he'd send me to CVS. He'd be like, you don't come back from CVS. Like I'd stand in front of CVS until you have five appointments. <laughs> like do not. And I was just like, OK, like I just didn't know any better. Right. Because at 15, you're still like you're still moldable. Right. Like. <laughs> That's so, I mean, did you make a go of it? Like it worked, like you were profitable. Like how long did you run? I'm just so curious. I mean, I know we're kind of off topic. I'm still, my mind is real estate. Let's talk martial arts. I just want to know, did did you pay Dr. Weger back his money? That's what I, (laughs) I did. I paid him back in like five months, actually. We like, I, so like I paid him, you know, I made what I needed to make and paid, I think three grand extra. Yeah. I was making like, for me, I was making great money. Right. And I might've been like three, four, five grand a month but that for me at 16 that was like the most money i've ever seen in my life yeah totally um you know because i worked a job i make ten dollars an hour before that doing some like construction stuff or whatever but um yeah it it worked it was it was profitable i it was it was profitable enough for me to save money and then i moved from amherst to charlottesville to open up a a new school and because i needed a bigger city so i was like i need to move big city, and i sold that school and i didn't sell it for a ton of money but i sold it to my brother-in-law who was a martial arts student. So he took that over. I moved to Charlottesville. Now that school in Charlottesville is still here to this day. That school uh, became one of the top 1% of all schools in the nation in terms of students it had and income that it created. And then I I just kind of went on this little rant of like, I'd put someone in charge and then I moved to Charlotte and I'd start one and I'd put someone in charge and I'd start one and I'd put someone in charge. Kind of like the church planting model, I guess you could say, for the, you know, since we're, right. since we're all since Lynchburg <laughs> folks here. Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. how many do you own currently? Do you own, I mean, are you still holding so on? We all built seven. Yeah, we built seven. We built an online program. And as of four weeks ago, I just sold them all. Yeah. Did you really? So you yeah, just, exited just exited everything. Business. Yeah. It was a very sad, it was a very sad day. It's a long story of why I did it, but it was the right thing to do. I sold it to the operators individually. Every operator bought their own yep. and it was a great exit for me. It was a great thing for them. They got a kind of a running made business that I'd put a lot of systems in and, yep. and, and that's allowed me to pivot to real estate hundred percent. So that was, uh, it was the right timing. It was the right timing. Yeah. Well, now it makes sense. You you had mentioned before you, you went off to college and college maybe just wasn't the the right fit. Well, you'd already run businesses. You'd already started multiple businesses. I can just imagine you right. sitting in a classroom, right? You know, for English or or comms. And it's like, why am I here? Like, I've got these <laughs> other businesses I've already built. In. I have nothing against college. Like my dad, but 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 you're right, Kevin. I mean, that's it's it was um 
I had severe ADHD growing up. And so like, I just didn't sit, I didn't sit well. Like I need to either be like talking or doing something or fidgeting all my pens. I like mess with the thing. This is like every pen either has this part broken off or it's like all, cause I just, yeah. I have to be doing something. You know? right. Here's mine broken off too. I do the same thing, man. <laughs> Every one of my pens is broken because I have to do that. That's so funny. Every one of them is hilarious. That's great, man. Okay, so you pivoted because you were house hacking yourself. And you're like, wait a second. The the light bulb went off. This math just seems to make a lot more sense. Yeah. So what did that look like for you to kind of go all in? I mean, you you did your own house. And then then what did it look like for you to then start scaling, especially if you're going to do this full time? Yeah, the the very long story of my real estate journey short was like, I built these martial arts schools and that was my main gig. And anybody who says, oh, you have to be all in on real estate, like you can build real estate on the side. I even built, I built real estate on the side and it was a fairly, you know, intensive, I wasn't doing like long-term rentals. I was doing co-livings. There was four or five, six, seven, eight people in each house. And I was able to build that on top of a 60, 70 hour a week job building a a chain of martial arts schools. So, you know, you have to be dedicated and committed to it. And I have that time and I really, but I really wanted you know, I was made fun of a lot. We didn't grow up with a tremendous amount of resources. And so I, I, you know, I, I was made fun of a decent amount and I just, I just thought the way I could impress my friends was to be successful, you know? And so that was what I was like obsessed with. And this seemed to be the way to go. And it just kind of fell into place. And so really what happened is I would just buy a house, put my 5% down as a primary residence. I had a good, you know, I had my W2 job running the martial arts schools. And then I'd live in it for one year, go back to the exact same banker and be like, Hey, year's up on a new primary residence. And he'd be like, okay, what are you doing with the other one? I'm like, here's six leases that I just put on that other one. He's like, and there's, he would always be like, what the heck? I'm like, yeah, but you can add that back into my income. Can't you? That's Cause right. he could use, he's like, yeah, yeah I guess yeah. I can. Like yep. he'd add all six in- leases, the income back into my income and I'd qualify for another primary. And I would just do that for, you know, a good four or five years uh, in a row. And that was kind of how I initially built the the company. You know, we have, I, I have a lot of commercial loans and more homes now, but that was initially how it got built. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a fun, it was a really, really fun process. There was a time where, to be honest, when I had like three homes, I was really, I didn't see a lot of other people doing co-living. And so I was very like down on, it. I was like, is this even a thing? Like, am I just going to get in trouble? One day am I going to wake up and this not work? People not want to rent a room. And I had an opportunity to meet at an event. I had an opportunity to meet Robert Kiyosaki and I like waited in line for like a long time to shake his hand. And I'm assuming all of your listeners know who Robert Kiyosaki yep. is. Yep. And uh, I said, hey, Robert, I'm doing this thing where I'm renting out rooms and homes. and I'm a little nervous. I want to buy another one. I had like three at the time. I was like, I want to buy another one. But honestly, like none of my friends are doing this. Nobody in my mastermind is doing this. Like people think it's kind of crazy. And he just, you know, you ever like have that one time in your life where someone says the right thing at the right time forever your life changed? That's what he said. He looks at me and he's like, Sam, I believe room rentals and co-living. I don't know if he called it co-living at the time. He goes, I believe it's the wave of the future. And I was like taking notes and I was just, all I wrote down was like wave of the future. And I just remember <laughs> thinking like, and then he go, and then he leans in and he's like, actually, he's like, I think like the economy is going to get worse and worse and worse. He's kind of doomsdayish right now. He's like, the economy is going to get worse and worse and worse. He goes, I know how I'm going to split my 4,800 square foot house into six rooms Wow. When that happens. And I was like, well, man, if Robert Kiyosaki, like if it's good enough for him to do it and it, you know, I, it's good enough for me. And that, that was gave me the confidence to like even truly, truly go all in. But I, I built this pretty much alongside my martial arts school. And only until four weeks ago, did I sell all of that? I was pretty involved until then. Okay. And, um, um, Brandon Turner is a friend of mine. He, he used to be the the host of bigger pockets and he invited me on to talk about co-living. And that was probably the pivotal moment where 
I started teaching people about it because like we got like 500,000 downloads in the first 30 days and like all these people were reaching out saying, I want to do co-living, co-living room rentals. And I just, I didn't have the time. And so I just started kind of training people about it. And that was, that was more the moment where I think my life really got consumed by the model versus just investing it on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's an, it's a unique model in that there's not a lot of it out there. There's not a lot of um, templates on how to do this. So what, what did you, how did you figure out, like, here's how the lease is going to work. What if I have to evict somebody? What about working around my municipalities and what's allowed? What's, how did you navigate all that early on? Cause you were figuring it out. Like you're literally building the plane while you're flying it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was like the first house. I didn't have any leases. It was like this one page little document that was like two paragraphs that I'd have people sign. And apparently that doesn't work well when you're trying to evict somebody because <laughs> one guy just stopped, stopped paying and would just squat in my house. And he was like the weirdest guy. And I had just upped the rent. You know, you get like a little greedy as a landlord. You up the rent and someone says I can do it. So you just there was me. I just put him in. Yep. So a lot of lessons because I didn't have I wasn't a landlord. So a lot of little lessons. Thankfully, overall, I was blessed because I just had good people in there and I vetted them well. And I kind of had a good gut check for people. I was, you know, I, I kind of had a good vibe check for people. But yeah, I basically just started with leases. Um, there's a whole journey to the leases, but started with just, you know, okay, I need a better lease uh, than just this two paragraph thing, um, you know, and then it kind of went from leases to now we use something called membership agreements. And the reason we use a membership agreement is because that's uh, really a more legal way to do it is basically what it boils down to, you know, <laughs> and I, I've modeled after pad split, Kevin, I know you mentioned pad split, pad splits, the one of the largest companies kind of managing these properties. And one of the ways that they kind of circumnavigate these like boarding house rules or rooming house rules is by having a membership company. So it's like this company owns the LLC. Let's say, you know, XYZ company owns the LLC. It leases, it leases to one person because in the United States, an LLC is considered one person. It leases to one other LLC. And this LLC happens to have a lot of members. Mm -hmm. And then those members get to use the house. And it's more complicated than that, but basically it's a membership model. And that allows them to get around a lot of these restrictions of like, oh, you can't have five long-term leases on a property or six long-term leases on a property. Well, it's like, well, it's not, I don't. These people just have access to this home and you know, technically they are just owners of a part owners of a company that, that lease this home. And so we've kind of modeled after that and that's what I teach now and that's what we use in our companies is these membership agreements. A lot of these regulations that have are very old and outdated, by the way. I mean, they were they were designed, these laws were put in place around when they were right, they were basically trying to keep out prostitution houses and trying to keep undocumented immigrants, 50 of them from all living in a home. Yep. They were not designed to regulate like what we're doing, which is like professional, clean, working professionals sharing a house together. And so we're starting to see a lot of positive regulation. I know before we jumped on the call, I talked about the City of Yes initiative, which is like New York's way of promoting co-living. Hmm. LA just launched a big initiative promoting co-living. Uh, the US Department for Housing and Urban Development came out and basically said, we'll now allow Section 8 or what they now call housing choice vouchers to be used for co-living. They said, we believe you know co-living can solve affordable housing in America and all, all, all jurisdictions need to look at this as a model. So there's a lot of positivity happening in this model. Um, we operate a little bit in a gray area, to be sure. clear, but we yep. we have a good faith legal way if you use the membership model to to circumnavigate a lot of those restrictions. I even got on a call with the the top head counsel from Padsplit. I said, how many times have you been shut down? Because they have 10,000 rooms in 40 cities. I said, how many times? And they have nine, eight, you know, 10, 11, 12 people sometimes shut down a house. Wow. And they said, uh, he said they've never been shut down. Wow. wow. 
Yeah. And I said, how do you do it? He goes, let me tell you. And I said, let me get my lawyer on the call, please. Because <laughs> we're going to copy that. <laughs> That's so what the not, membership ID came to. You're just That's using exactly a strategy, right. not necessarily utilizing pad split or bungalow or any of the other services. You're just doing it yourself. That's right. So we self-manage. I teach people to self-manage. I'm not against people using pad split to manage your property. Sure. They have to be willing to pay the fees and they have to be willing to kind of hand over control to a big tech company that that's frankly just getting better right now. Yeah. And I want to create a little bit more of a community feel than PadSplit does right now. That's more my vibe of what I'm trying to create in these homes. Yeah. But uh but PadSplit is really solving affordable housing and it, it's part of it's part of what I feel like is the mission of this model. Yeah. You talk about a uh, community uh, and, and we've we've heard different perspectives on uh, on on how to establish that in the house. I, I we've talked to some folks who say I don't do any shared living spaces. That that's where conflict occurs. But where do you land as far as is there a shared living room or family room? Is it a shared kitchen? How do you make sure the the bridge stays clean? How do you handle that side of thing where you're trying to create community, but you also want to avoid any tension spots? Conflicts, yeah, yeah. Pad splits stance for the longest time was no common areas because that's where conflict occurs. I don't agree with that because, yeah, I you know. Having lived in these homes for 13 and a half years, some of these housemates became my buddies. Like I facilitated the wedding of one of my housemates. Uh, you know, I would I would connect on with another one of my housemates. Like I had a really great time just getting to know these people. And so we're trying to create. So all of our homes have to have a community area. Like that's one of our guidelines for the homes that we create and how I teach and coach investors to do this model. We will not put TVs in the common area because that can be a source of tension. We don't even usually put couches in the common area. For a variety of reasons I won't mention on this on this show, but like you just like high Family top tables. <laughs> yeah. People sleeping over, just like weird <laughs> stuff can happen on the couch, right? So it's just like high, you know, kind of an active high top tables, cocktail type tables where people can kind of hang out, shared kitchen. We label all the cabinet space, label all the refrigerator space. So everybody has their own section. We bring in professional cleaners once or twice a month to make sure the place stays clean and everybody contributes. We do in their membership agreement, they have to initial a spot where they're they're responsible for this little checklist once every month. Uh, each tenant is like once every or once every two months, I guess, because it's somebody does it once a week. If there's eight people in the house, that would be once every two months, their cycle would come around. And so there's a lot of little things that we do like that. We have house rules that they have to initial to. Um, you know, we obviously have keyless entry door locks on everything. Um, not a lot of tension happens in the, we'll put desks in the common space so people can kind of work outside of their room if they want to. No personal items allowed in the personal space. So it keeps kind of clean. So those are a few of our house rules, so to speak, that we implement. Um and you'd be surprised. I mean, if you compare this model, I think what most people have a reference for is Airbnb. I have an Airbnb on a lake here. It's a really nice lake here in Charlotte called Lake Norman. And every time I have a guest, either the cops get called or the neighbor somehow complains. Like it's because it just like attracts parties and the neighbors hate us. That does not happen in co-living if you do this correctly. Like I've had maybe four complaints in the last decade of doing this. Because it's because this is people's homes, right? This is not a party house. They're not bringing in 20 other people like that. We have, we do have a restriction on the number of overnight guests that people can bring over. They have to initial that have cameras on the outside, et cetera. So I, you know, it's not nearly as party friendly as an Airbnb is. This is like people living there. It's quiet, it's clean, it's safe. And it's people who are working professionals. Mm -hmm. What about parking? I mean, you start stacking five, six, seven people in there. How, how does that play out? You just have to have a house that accommodates a lot of cars. Yeah. 
I mean, it really depends on what city you're in. I've got a client in San Francisco. He fills 400 rooms in San Francisco and there's zero parking for any of these places because wow. that's just how San Francisco rolls. Sure. In Charlotte, you need parking, right? Yeah. So if you're closer to a bus stop, that's going to be really beneficial because then you'll you know, you'll have some people without cards. We found that we have about two thirds the amount of tenants that we have or members that we have, I should say, have cars. And so as long as we have two thirds the amount of parking, then yeah. So sometimes we'll add a little parking pad to the right or to the left of the main driveway. We mm -hmm. we love neighborhoods that have street parking. Absolutely no HOAs. We really shy away from HOAs. Yeah. But if it has street parking, then that's something we really try to accommodate. That makes sense. But that's a yeah, great question, actually. I, I, private bathrooms versus shared bathrooms. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, private bathrooms are gonna rent for probably twenty to thirty percent more. So mm -hmm. in Charlotte in Charlotte right now, a private bath, and keep in mind, these are utilities included prices, can probably rent for almost 1100 bucks. And then a shared bath is going to rent for probably seven or 800. So that's a, there's a significant difference on that. So you do both. You, you've got uh, facilities that have some, some are shared bath, some are private bath. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Now I'm in the process of developing ground up. We have four development sites, two in Charlotte and one we just bought in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Um, which I already have a house. The model actually works in the Asheville area really well because housing is just super tight there. But we are developing these duplexes that will be eight bedrooms and eight eight bedrooms on bottom and eight bedrooms on top and six full baths each floor. So it's going to have a much higher ratio <clears throat> than if than a lot of times we keep now. Which right now you we one of our rules is you have to have at least a three to one ratio. We don't allow a four to one on the homes we buy or the ones we manage or a five to one or a six to one. Like yep. we want people to be able to share with it as least as few people as possible. I mean, the ground up development seems super intriguing because like you said, you could just jam, jam it full of, of bedrooms and get a whole But like where, where are you able to find lots with the parking and then the zoning? Is a zoning an issue when you're doing something like that? Or are you just still going straight single family zoning and then just using this membership model? Yeah, you have to... Um... Zoning is like very jurisdiction, like per jurisdiction, right? So I can't say for whatever, you know, everybody should check sure. their local zoning jurisdiction to for see. Sure. But I, Charlotte just passed a law or a rule that you can build duplexes on single family lots and without even prior approval. So that because they're trying to increase density, as long as it's within city of Charlotte, you can actually build duplexes, triplexes or quadplexes on city on single family lots now. And uh, there's some restrictions to it, but like that's basically the general rule from what I understand. And yeah, so on in Charlotte, we're just building on two single family lots and, and, and yeah, we'll be, we might be technically exceeding the occupancy a little bit on each of those duplexes, but it's not by a tremendous amount. And we have the membership model and we feel like we've still got a good faith way to operate. These people can use these rooms and it, you know, based on our model, the black mountain, we actually scored a small piece of multifamily land. Oh, wow. Um, so I feel like yeah, it's like a, it's like 0.77 acres. So we're going to put two on that and uh, it shouldn't be a problem there. So yeah, you got to, you definitely have to think through like, Hey, am I sticking this in a nice neighborhood? That's just going to, you know, like it's going to be a pain in the butt or is this, does this neighborhood, because the need is for people who make, and I told you guys this before the show between 20 and $60,000 a year. Like that's the need for this group of like people who yeah. serve you at target, you know, fill, put your groceries together, even at whole foods, you know, they're making 15 to 20 bucks an hour. They they're at all the gas stations you stop at. They put your luggage on the airplane. Like where did those people live in a city? They either have to drive an hour mm -hmm. or they have to do something like we're talking about. That's a little bit more creative. And so uh, you do need to think through parking. You do need to think that through. You need to think through where it is in the neighborhood and then obviously check check zoning. But, um, you know, in Charlotte, we're, we're actually 
moving forward pretty heavily with being able to do these on single family lots. That's huge. Yeah, especially yeah. if they're encouraging that and allowing you to do yeah. duplexes and triplexes on single family properties. That's awesome. Exactly. Is there, what's your metric? Like, what are you aiming for in terms of like your costs maybe per bedroom and your rent per bedroom? I mean, I'm assuming that you've got numbers, you got a buy box that you're shooting for. Yeah, it's it's very much a moving target because we we have investors all over. So every like you might be able to get in California, your numbers can be totally different than in Charlotte. I can give you what Charlotte's is, but like Charlotte is not. I wouldn't uh, don't extrapolate that to any other cities. Like each city is going to have its own rent metrics that you're going to have to look at. And it's going to have its own buy, you know, its own price per bedroom that you're going to look at. And in Charlotte, I look for about fifty thousand dollars per bedroom. And that bedroom is going to rent anywhere from, you know, eight to $900. Now there's a little bit of discrepancy there because we have those private baths. And so sometimes they'll rent for more. If I do have a private bath, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimately, what I'm looking for is a, ca is a cash on cash return. And that's basically a 15 to 20% cash on cash return. So if it hits that metric for me, and that's, that's a very personal metric. That's not something I put on any other, anybody else. I'm just saying that is my metric for whether or not I will sell a property if it's doing less than that reposition into properties that are doing 15 to 20% cash on cash return, which, and, and, and I want to be really clear. This is a return that is after CapEx miscellaneous repairs, vacancy management fees. I mean, it is, it is a conservatively underwritten number. Sure. And to be able to achieve that, you know, I, you know, I don't know how sophisticated the investors are maybe listening to this, but to be able to achieve that from on market MLS deals is like, basically crazy, right? Like crazy. in this, in the marketplace totally. with interest rates at eight, eight and a half percent, like it's just insane. And so, totally. Um, well, and that's yeah. with, that's with financing. So that's why we're using a cash yeah. on cash. But again, yeah. still, like you said, nobody ever really calculates conservatively enough. Nobody really puts all the CapEx numbers, yeah. the vacancy numbers in there. Everything looks sexier yeah. on a spreadsheet until you, you know, you actually start renting it out and then everything changes. That's right. <laughs> My so, mentor used to say that the the best deal of any real estate deal was day one. That's the best day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then reality strikes day two. Then reality hits. Yeah, you're like, there's mold. <laughs> so are you are you acquiring? Um, are, have you acquired most of your deals on market? And are you still trying to source on market? We buy all of our deals on market. Yeah, I bought all of my deals out of the thirty some homes we have that are doing this model. 150 rooms, third, I think 38 homes or something, 35 homes. We have all of them have been on market, with the exception of two. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And are you even today, even with the market the way it is, you're still able to pop a deal on the MLS here? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I have four in my underwriting folder right now. I could show you that are all fifteen percent really? uh, cash on cash or higher. Yeah, it's pretty much everything in town. I mean, is that really where the market is best served, or are you doing anything like out in the suburbs? Well, it's all it's all suburbs, but I mean, in Charlotte, you've got like downtown, but you couldn't buy anything downtown for less than like nine hundred grand. Like it's right. like it, you've got the like hop and hot area, sure. but then you've got suburbs still within the 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 main belt, I guess you could say. Okay, we we've started to go outside of that belt a little bit just because prices and just it still is accessible to a lot of the the main areas. But if we're within 20 minutes, I mean, and again, this is this is city specific. It's why it's so important for everybody listening to 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 invest in areas that they know. If you're in an area like in Charlotte, if I'm within 20 minutes of a good, you know, an Amazon hub, the airport, like some of these big employment hubs that kind of fit my demographic, then that's that's where I want to be. And yeah. so that's a, a lot of times what we'll look for. I got you. That makes sense. Where are the employers that are going to be employing these people? And 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 they're they're everywhere, really. I mean, they're the gas stations, the target, they're one. But if there's a big hub for that, being closer to that hub is really nice. It's a yeah. it's a benefit. Yeah, you definitely yeah. want employers nearby. 
And I think I think it's really important that everybody just understands the value proposition of this, though, because right. we get a lot of complaints. People be like, that just sounds I got written up in the newspaper after a speaking gig one time. They were like, Sam Wiegert pedals the newest you know, scheme from greedy landlords to blah, 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 blah. And I was like, man, that's not what I'm trying to promote. Uh, and so basically, like I always start, I kind of lead now with telling people that I lived in these homes, help develop a model that's community based and that's shared housing and that people can live with good people for probably about half, you include utilities, about half of what they would normally be able to live for. And so in my mind, if you just look at rising house housing costs, there are tremendous amount of statistics on how little affordable housing we have in the United States totally. and how that's not really being addressed. We're, I mean, the latest statistic I read was we're like 7.8 million affordable housing units short. Nobody's really building them. There aren't crazy huge incentives. You know, and if you do some math on that, it's basically like a trillion dollars just to create the housing. That doesn't even include yeah. subsidies and all the stuff that has to go into managing it, like just that. And so it's it's a huge issue. And this is a creative way in a in a fun way. And when I when I first came out on Bigger Pockets, a big podcast, I had the guy from Germany call me and he was like, Sam, you're talking about this like it's new. He's like, This is how we live in Europe. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. He's like, you guys are just spoiled in the United States. He's like, this is how we live. This is how most people live. A lot of people live here. Like, it's yeah. very rare that a, a millennial here owns a place. Yeah. Nobody owns a place here. We rent and we rent rooms a lot of times. So it's really just something that's kind of seeping in as we've had inflation and all this stuff. And so it's it's solving a big need. Unlike Airbnb, where we're taking housing off the market, we're putting right. housing back on the market. Right. And as an investor, you win. So it's a huge win-win for what's happening. Totally. You know, so you keep talking about all these people that are out there that need the affordable housing. How are you getting to them? How are you finding them? What sort of marketing are you doing? Because it's not it's not probably traditional just for rent on Zillow, is it? I mean, where where are you advertising for tenants? It's funny you mentioned Zillow because literally three weeks ago, uh, you can now list a room for rent on Zillow. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, but I like did a, not know that. Yeah, they and they just added it. Like you, like because we've tried to. Yeah, we they just added it. It's like it's their newest thing. Um. All the big tech platforms are getting behind rooms for rent. Okay. I mean, okay. case in point, Zillow, yeah. but there are, there wow. are other ones. I mean, there are really big ones. There's Roomster, there's Roomies, uh, there's one called Zumper. That's actually a room rental site. There's um, Craigslist, believe it or not, is still a juggernaut for rooms. They have really? a special category for it, right? And I'd say probably the biggest area is Facebook Marketplace. Is it? Okay. Like that. Yeah, that's probably where we're seeing a lot. They have a special way that you can list a room and people are and, and we get a lot of leads through that. Yeah. But we'll get creative. We run, we actually pick we have we 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 own 150 rooms, but we manage an additional 150. And so we, you know, we're always running ads. We 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 pay, we do some paid advertising on Google. We put out signs. Believe it or not, signs can produce a lot of leads, just room for rent signs in town. Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot of ways to do it. I don't want to make it so different than just renting out anything else that you would rent out. If you have an apartment right. that you wanted to rent or a house you wanted to rent, you'd post on Zillow and Craigslist and apartment stock. You'd just post all those places. Yeah. And that's pretty much what we do. We just post in all those places. <laughs> so interesting. So you'd mentioned that you manage for other people. Maybe talk to us for just a second about it's not just your own. You guys have a service and you consult. I mean, what, is, what does that look like? Yeah, I just... I, I had a lot of people starting to reach out to me just to be like, Hey, I want to learn more about this model. And for like a good six months, I just took 15 minute meetings, but I would have like three a day. And finally I had a partner come to me and be like, Hey man, like you're burning out and you need to do this in a group format. So we just started a, a way to kind of help people learn how to do this model. Um, more specifically how to find the properties, how to buy them, how to rehab them, just all the nuances of A to Z and, and just all the systems that I'd put in place, the checklist, the templates, the membership agreements, 
basically everything they need to just kind of go and start acquiring, right? Yep. Or to, to build a partnership and then start acquiring. If they don't have the down payment or the money for the down payment, we even teach them how to raise capital and all of that. So, um, and then we did launch a service. Now we are scaling this back to be totally honest. We launched a service called the White Glove Service. So for for my students that were in our program, we would actually do everything for them. We would buy the properties, everything, like hands off. The problem with that is people... We, we were getting a lot of people who had maybe never done real estate before. And they're just like, it, it's a lot of communication. So we're, we're kind of transitioning from a done for you to a done with you. Yeah. And that's a yeah, good yeah. transition for us. But um, yeah, we, we and, the, and then we manage it on the back end. So uh, it, it, it operates like any traditional property management company. We take over your properties. We do everything. We handle maintenance. We handle the members, the, the tenants, the members. And then you get caught a check at the end of the month. Okay. And what's that, what's that percentage? Cause you know, vacation homes, it's 20% single yeah, family, it's 15. seven or 8%. So we're, you're in the middle somewhere. 15. Yeah. 15. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. land right in the middle there. Yeah. Pat, it's, it's more, it's, de it's less than a short-term rental, but it's definitely more than a long-term rental yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. When there's more involved. Pad, so that makes sense. Pad split charges close, you know, they're, they're changing their model up a little bit, you know, as we're sitting here on January 24th, 2024, they're changing their model, but they used to charge close to 22 or 23%. All okay. things, all okay. in. If you use their property management company and their membership-based model and the credit card fees, so it's. <clears throat> but they're they're making some good changes. But the, you know, it can that's that's. But here's what's crazy about that: they're able to take that, and these homes still make our deals. Like, that's, what's that's what's crazy. That's what's crazy. Yeah. How, the whole thing is just super interesting because, like you said, it's new. And what I love about it is, like you said, there's so much momentum behind it right now. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. Zillow is changing to now renting by the room. That tells yeah. you something that they're adopting it. If the you know the housing department's coming out and saying this is what we what we see the future is, then yes, yes, this is what you want to get behind. Like in, in to your point, Airbnb makes me nervous. Look, I have some Airbnbs, yeah, yeah, but they still make me nervous because I feel like this one stroke of the pen in the city that this house and then my model goes out the window, right. and and they're doing that in a lot of different places. Like you said, Asheville's probably next. Yeah. Um, but this doesn't feel like that's what's coming. It feels like if anything, it's loosening up with the co-living space. That's right. Yeah. I think, I think I, what I want people to take away is like, and I'm not saying this is good or even like, wow, this sounds, what I'm about to say is probably not sound American, but it's, but, but, but we, it's true. And it's like the room is becoming the, the new apartment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and that's actually what the guy from Germany that called me that I was, that was getting on me for calling this a new strategy. He was like, it's not new. We live like this in Europe. And he was like, the room here is the new apartment. And I thought about that. And I was like, wow, that's a big difference between kind of the model I teach and pad split pad split. They furnish all their bedrooms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you go in, you get a furnished bedroom. That's cool. That's fine. But I, I really want people to see that bedroom as their, as their space. And so we don't, we teach a model where you don't furnish any of the rooms. We furnish the common areas only. Mm -hmm. And like, that's your space. That's your apartment. Do whatever you want to that. How do one guy turn all the lights and make a blue neon lights in the fan? Like, cool. That's your spot, man. Do whatever you want. Right. And so I think if people kind of realized that this is a, it's a great place to live. It's, it's like having lived in these a lot. All of us have probably had roommates. I'm sure you guys have had roommates at some point in your yep. life, whether it's college, like, and usually those were decent times in our life. They weren't terrible. Right. Right. <laughs> so just bringing back that model with a few more restrictions um, and, and doing it in a way of, you know, we have people living in these homes that make 80 grand. I, we've got one guy in this home that like, he claims to be a millionaire, but he's like, I love, he, he claims to be a millionaire, but he's like, I just love hanging. I like, I love this. I'm paying $800 and 
and he he sends all of his money to he sends some money to his ex-wife he sends some money to his kids and like he he they have a barbecue every saturday so he's like it's it's a thing for him to live this way and so my vision my vision for where this asset class could go is that we make these homes so beautiful so nice so fun and it's done so well that even people who could absolutely afford their own house or apartment are at least like, I don't know, that co-living thing sounds cool. Like that sounds like it's not about like it, that's that's where I see this going, where I right. could see this going. I'll totally. talk about it with my wife all the time. We live in a big house here and I'm just like, can we rent out a room? Can we rent out two rooms? She's like, no. <laughs> no. <not> but, <laughs> well, we live in a society that is increasingly isolated. I mean, if you want to think about the yeah. psychology, you know, people living on social media that are more and more disconnected. And so, you know, this is not only meeting, uh, you know, a housing need, you know, from a financial standpoint, but I can see people that have the means they are like, no, this is really attractive because it gets me connected to other people. I'm living in community in a way that maybe I wouldn't, I likely wouldn't if I, if I was alone. And you talked about it being un-American, but really, if you think historically, this was very common in the mm. United States up until about the 1950s. If you look historically, mm. room shares were very, very common up until about the post-World War II boom, when you see yeah. massive new new construction for those post-war families, right, that are coming out buying the, but before that, wow, very common, very very common across our country. So it's almost like we're moving back to something and meeting some real needs. That's a really cool perspective, man. I've never heard it put in that way before, but that's a really cool perspective. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna start using that. That's beautiful. All right, let's end on that. He said it was beautiful, and I told him he said it ever. <laughs> Kevin's like, I'm done for the day. Boom, mic drop. I'm out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Sam, this was really good. I do feel like I could continue picking your brain for another hour, and I, I'll spare you the agony of that. This is, uh, <laughs> Thanks, guys. This has been really, really good, really eye-opening. And um, offline, I want to continue having this conversation with you. Though. For so, sure, man. Sam, really yeah. appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you guys for the opportunity. This was fun. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. Absolutely. Thanks. Dude, that was outstanding. And how crazy, like, I knew this guy's dad, like, years and years and years ago. What a, what a random connection. I've known this that's guy a for a funny, long time. I don't think that's, I mean, I've definitely had people in the podcast that I've known, and, but to, like, not realize there was a connection, you guys start talking, and all of a sudden, wait a second, I know who you are. I know your dad. I know your sister. I know your family. Wait yeah, a minute. It's, that's that was kind of crazy. We're very unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Hey, more reason to um to connect with them. Yes. After the fact and see if there's some, I think he would be a tremendous asset to our franchisees inside our system. I mean, this is a, this is a great program to roll out. Agreed. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for us, opportunity for our franchisees. For those that you're listening, this is absolutely worth exploring further. Great, great opportunity and a great time to do it as well. Well, think about how hard it is to find houses that pencil out from a rentals standpoint right now. Yeah, because interest rates are high. Everything's expensive. It's hard to get stuff to pencil out. Well, if you can change your strategy, especially since it's, there's so much momentum behind the strategy, there's so many companies that are pro cropping up just for this purpose. Yep. To me, it's a great way to make more houses work from an investment Absolutely. standpoint. Well, tomorrow, hope it's a good call. And uh, I expect an update in a week or two. Guaranteed, Kevin. Uh, I vote we do this again next week. All right. Guaranteed it's going to happen. All right. See you, man.
Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm. Hey friends, just a final thought before you check out. You know, so many of us are going 100 miles an hour through life. We're weighed down by stress or worry or even that haunting feeling of emptiness. But it doesn't have to be that way. I've actually put together a quick resource at faithcrossroad.com where I share just a little bit about the faith that gives me hope and purpose and identity. And I'd love to share it with you. Again, faithcrossroad.com.